Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Yesterday, during the funeral service for Dr. Mark Allison in Greenville, we heard reference to this passage of scripture and particularly to the first verse of the chapter, which was printed on the cover of the program. And as I heard the reference to that text, this text came into my mind for today. This text, the first verse of the chapter, was representative of Dr. Allison's life and ministry. But the verse that follows it was also an indication of his whole life's attitude. The second verse of this chapter presents the picture of that blessed assurance that was the treasure of Dr. Allison throughout his life as a Christian. Those who are justified by faith have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the blessed assurance of which the hymn writer wrote in the words I quoted at the very beginning. Coming to the Lord's Supper is the worship that Jesus Christ designed for his followers to renew and to reinforce that blessed assurance. This text then expounds the birthright of every child of God, every believer in Christ. God's purpose is not for his people, not for you or for me, to spend their lives under the shadow of doubt and uncertainty. Christ provides in the Lord's Supper the exposition of the ground for confidence for everyone who rests in Christ alone and in his finished work alone. So the scene before us today in our text and here in our gathering is blessed assurance at the Lord's table. Blessed assurance at the Lord's table. Paul wrote in our text of those who have entered the realm of blessed assurance. They know the reality of which we read in this passage that Christ died for them when they were ungodly. When there was nothing to motivate such a sacrifice. They know the reality that God loved them 
when they were his enemies and sworn against him. They understand the power of Christ's justifying blood and the power of his resurrection and endless life. That was certainly Dr. Allison's testimony. The word of God leaves us in no doubt about the heritage of the Lord's people. We get a refresher course, and here was the mercy of Christ. We get a refresher course in that heritage every time we gather at the Lord's table. So here is the way to blessed assurance as we find it marked out in our text. First of all, the door. There's only one entrance to blessed assurance. There's only one way you can know that all is well with your soul, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in our text, by whom we have access. That is, by the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom we read at the end of verse 1, by whom we have access. Christ proclaimed himself to be the only way to the Father. That text in John 14, 6 that we often quote, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. On another occasion, he likened himself to the door. Turn back to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. That is, all the ones who would pretend to be that door before are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. Here's the, here's the acid test. The sheep don't listen to those who are false teachers. Verse 9, I am the door. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Christianity does not present itself as one among a host of competing and equally beneficial religions. The Christianity of the Bible, the only true Christianity, presents itself as the only way to get to heaven. Christ taught that exclusivity in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 and verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. 
and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So here's the great contrast. There's a broad road that leads to destruction. It's an easy road. All you have to do to arrive at the destination is nothing. Just keep on going. But the gate to life is narrow. And we need to be as narrow as that gate. As narrow as the gospel. We need to reject any attempt to suggest that there might be other ways in which people can get to heaven. So let's not be ashamed to be narrow-minded because the gospel is a narrow message about a narrow way that leads to life. You get to heaven only through Christ and you recognize that truth that he is the only way only through the power of God's spirit in the ministry of the word of God. In Romans 5 and 1, Christ is the great mediator of his people. They have peace with God through him. The door draws our attention to Christ's sinless life. When we come to the Lord's table, we confront again the reality that our Savior is sinless. He is God manifested in the flesh. He is the only man in all of history who obeyed the law of God in its entirety, both outwardly and inwardly. He lived in total purity. He never in any measure offended the law of God. Every thought he had was pure. Every word he had was pure. Every act he did was pure. He is just. And having salvation, he is just. We are unjust. He is spotless. He is without blemish, without blame. Let us turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And verse 26. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. He was holy and harmless. If you want salvation, you need a Savior who stood in your place and obeyed the law of God that you could not obey. The door draws our attention as well to Christ's sacrificial death because he died 
as a substitute for us. Not only did he live in our place, he died in our place as the man of sorrows, suffering on account of the sins of his people, offering himself to the Father as a sacrifice. The death of Christ was a death of agony. Interesting in that passage we read in Matthew chapter 27, how the mechanics of the crucifixion are passed by. We simply read, they crucified him. Now you can go to secular sources and you can find all kinds of details about the procedure that the Romans employed in that kind of execution. But in spite of the fact that we find no reference to it in Matthew 27, it was a death of agony. It was a death of payment. It was a death of bloodshedding. And you have to rest upon that sacrifice for sins as being for you or you're lost forever. And the door speaks of his ascension and intercession. We saw recently in our brief series in Romans 8.34 that the Christ who died and rose again has ascended to God's right hand where he is now making intercession for us. He is interceding for his people there. Seeking from the Father the application to every one of the people for whom he suffered of every benefit of his atonement. So access to the blessed assurance is only by the door. But secondly in our text, we come to the key. We have access by faith into this grace. The key is faith. It is faith alone. There is no other way by which to get to this blessed assurance. You get through the door of which we have spoken by the key of faith. That is, nothing that you can do or bring will open the door. Some people think if they do the best they can, they will get that assurance. Some people think if they do charitable deeds, they will get that assurance. Some people think if they will try not to be too bad, if they will go to some place where they can rehab themselves and be better, But the message is of our text, you enter through faith alone. And what is faith? It is the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, those famous verses. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace are ye saved. Through faith. And that 
And I remember years ago when it struck me that here was a reference to faith. Faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. God gives you the faith with which to believe. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. This faith that God gives is the reliance on the testimony that God has given concerning His Son. And we find that testimony in the first epistle of John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Verse 9. If we receive the witness of men... The witness of God is greater. For this is the witness which he hath testified of his Son. The witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. So to believe anything else then what God has said about his son is to make God a liar. Verse 11, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Relying on the testimony of God concerning his son, that is faith. We don't see Jesus with the eye of the flesh. But we rely on the testimony of God. So it's reliance on the ability of Christ. Actually to save you from your sins. And to rely on that testimony is to reject every other ground of salvation apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ. So faith, we read in the text, opens the door. It is by faith that we have this access. And then we come to the third thing in the text, the stand, or the floor, if you will, to continue our basic theme, the floor. Into this grace wherein we stand. It's a present tense. It's the, it's the expression of that which is a present reality. We stand in this grace. That's the floor under your feet. And the elements of the Lord's Supper to which we come today, speak of that grace in the breaking of Christ's body and the shedding of his blood as the atonement for our sins. When you partake of those elements today, they convey to you afresh the reality that Christ actually died He actually suffered the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. And you not only confront that reality of the historical fact, 
but you confront the certainty that Christ's death accomplished all its purposes. And the source of the grace of which we read here is in God alone. And if we turn over just a page or two at the most to chapter 8 of this epistle, and to verse 29, we confront these links in the chain of grace, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, moreover whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. These links in the chain of grace, as so many have called them, do not envision a process where you go from one thing to the next. These things happen when the Spirit of God regenerates a soul. And they happen in the mind of God from eternity. Here's where you stand. You're not standing on the basis of what you have been able to do or to understand. You are standing on the basis of what God has done in and through Jesus Christ. And you can know that when you stand there, you're not going to slip. You're not going to lose your footing. You're not going to come to some part that's unreliable and fall through. You have the blessed assurance that you stand in this grace. But this blessed assurance requires something else, and that is the sustenance into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope. Let us consider the means of strengthening your faith, of edifying your faith, it is the hope in which you rejoice. It was a wonderful thing yesterday to watch the funeral proceedings there in our church in Greenville and to recognize that our brother Mark rejoiced in this hope. It was not a journey into the darkness that he took. That's often the way unregenerate people describe death. It was not a journey into the darkness. It was a journey in the light. It's the hope of that which God has reserved for you in heaven. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 
to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved for you. It's the hope on which you can depend when all else is lost that you will be with Christ. It was the hope of the penitent thief on Calvary when Jesus said today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. It was the hope that Job had so many years ago when he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth looking way past the whole of history to the day of Christ's second appearing. He will stand upon the earth. And Job said, though after my flesh, after my death, after my burial, even though worms would eat my flesh and destroy my body, he said, I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Here is the hope. The hope that rests on the immutability of God. For God says to us, I am the Lord, I change not. We read in Hebrews 6 of the immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. This hope sustains your soul. It feeds your soul through all the turmoil and adversity of life. And the Lord's Supper is here again today to bring you the reminder of that sustenance, that hope. And then there's one more thing that we notice in our text, and that is the goal. The goal. We stand in this grace and rejoice in hope of what? The glory of God. Here's the Lord's table. It's pointing you to the glory of God. You can't see it as the visions of revelation presented to us. That is, you can't see it, you can't experience it visually, but this table points you to the glory of God because Christ's work is the sole guarantee that you will enter that paradise. Jesus said that we are to partake of these elements until he comes so that the Lord's table is the firm predictor that he will come. He will come. And when we partake of the elements, we're not going through a religious ritual that has no meaning. We partake of those elements and we find reinforced in our souls again the truth. He will come. Our brother Mark Allison died in that confidence that Christ will come.
And as I said yesterday in my part in the service, when you think of it, there's going to come a day when all of Christ's people will appear with our Savior in glory. There will come a day when he that shall come will come and no longer tarry. We pray that the day will come soon. But we know that it will come however long it takes for that event to happen. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So may the Lord undertake for us today as we come again to partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper. May we reflect today on the assurance, that blessed assurance that Christ has designed for his people here at the Lord's table.